Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. As always, we begin with gratitude. Thank you to our generous sponsors for the Parsha series for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, Le'iloi Nisrimas, David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning's year is also sponsored by Deborah and Daniel Scheinbein in commemoration of the year site of Deborah's father, Aryeh Leib Ben Salom Ben Shalom. Bobayom, it's Neshama Shirav and Aliyah, thank you so much. And by the Schreier family, the Lilinishmas Dober Ben Aaron Halevi, Bernard Sullivan, his Yerzadis is coming Shabbos, 28th of Tevis, and Rufu Shlema of David Ber Ben Edel, Dober Ben Edel, who should have a complete Rufu Shlema. Thank you so much to all those who have sponsored. Boker Tov, good morning to you, in person and live. Great to see you and be together, and virtually online, live or later. Great to be with you. We are Reading Parsha's bow. This Shabbos, we have the privilege of learning Parsha's bow, page 340 in the Art Scroll, Stone Chumash. And to continue the story, the story of the plagues, the story of the Makos. Paro remains obstinate and stubborn. Paro continues to refuse to let Moshe's people, Hashem's people go. The plagues continue to be visited upon him. And as I said, I think last week, no matter how many times you've read the story, and we know the way it ends, there are so many things to discover, so many curious uh, ways that the, the psukim are worded, so much to learn and so much to glean. So we'll begin with a familiar teaching, and that is the opening words of the parsha. We've shared this before, but it bears repeating. Hashem says to Moshe, no, come, bo el paro, let's go. We're going to paro. Why are we going? I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. So that I can put these signs of mine in their midst. Here in this opening Pasuk, Hashem divulges to us exactly why he orchestrates events the way he does. Because there is this overarching question. Why the pomp and circumstance? Is Hashem trying to impress? And the answer is yes. He's not trying to impress for his own ego. He's trying to impress upon us his presence, his existence. For generations to come for us to turn back and say that he did those events then so we would know then and forever that he didn't create a world then move on he didn't leave it behind he didn't become distracted or turn his attention to other things he remains intimately involved in our lives so he specifically violated his rules to reveal himself then in the way he did so that we would continue to draw upon it until today which we do every shabbat Every day we read Shema Zechelitzias Mitzrayim. Any day that we live and we wonder why, why am I going through what I'm going through? Is it all random? Is it all chance? Is it all happenstance? Where is God? We'd read the Parsha and we'd say Shema and we'd kiss our tzitzis and we make Kiddush and Shabbos and we remember that just like He was involved then, He's involved now. That He didn't move on. He didn't leave us behind. He's not a creator who created and then turns his attention to the next project. He continues to be acutely aware of and invested in every aspect of our lives. And that's why he did it. He doesn't want to, he's a kel mistater. God prefers to be hidden. He prefers to be in the background. He prefers and wishes he were not in the limelight. He'd rather blend in. He'd rather do his thing. He'd rather we have to search to discover him. Whenever he reveals himself, it's going against his inclination. It's going against what he prefers to do. So why did he do it? In the greatest and most public way ever, 
unprecedented and unparalleled, he tells us the very reason. So that he could put these signs in their midst and our midst. It was a curriculum for the Egyptians and for us. But the curious word in this opening pasuk is the word bo. God turns to Moshe and he says, Bo al paro, nu, let's go, let's head out. My father-in-law likes to say, gegangen, nu, Moshe, let's go. We got places to be, things to do, let's go. What should the word be? Not bo, but lech. I've got an assignment, I've got a mission. Nu, I'm staying here, you go. You're late, get going. You got something to do. So Rav Soloveitchik and the uh, beautiful OU Rabbi Soloveitchik Chumash writes the following. When Hashem chooses Moshe, he was very reluctant to accept the mission. He argued with Hashem, according to our tradition, the Medrash Moshe Rabbah, for seven full days. He considered himself unqualified to be the leader of the people and to confront Paro. Too modest, too humble. Mia, who am I that I should go to Paro? Who am I to be worthy of being the Redeemer? Hashem answered him, I will be with you. Go, because I will be with you. That's the answer. Hashem promised Moshe would never desert him. He would participate in the implementation of the mission. Together they would enter Paro's chambers. Therefore, when Hashem instructed Moshe to appear before Paro, he used the imperative of Bo instead of Lech. When Moshe addresses Paro, God will be present. When he raises the staff, Hashem will be with him. Bo, in effect, Rabbi Soloveitchik encourages us to reread the opening Pasuk. It's not Bo El Paro, that's not the name of the Parsha. Bo Imadi El Paro. Hashem is saying, come with me. Come with me. And Rabbi Soloveitchik now, in a classic brisker fashion, says there's a halachic principle involved here. The halacha knows of two kinds of shlichus, two types of power of attorney, two types of acting by proxy. One type of shlichus is a purely formal, juristic assignment given to a person. The other is personalistic and experiential. Rabbi Soloveitchik, by the way, didn't learn English till he was an adult and came to America just in case you want to feel bad about yourself today. <laughs> the former is a practical institution designed simply to perform legal transactions by proxy. Quite often, one cannot attend to business personally. The halacha provides the opportunity to act through a proxy, to ask someone to finalize or sanction certain obligations, certain deeds or agreements. This type of acting through proxy is always associated with the absence of the real owner. So Avram sends Eliezer, go betroth a wife for Yitzchak. You can send someone to do a business deal. We can send someone as a shliach to give a get. There's a notion, there's an institution of shlichus, of agency, of proxy, of power of attorney. The whole reason I make you my proxy is because I don't want to go to the HOA meeting and vote. It's the whole reason I sign a proxy, which we should do responsibly and know what we're signing and understand its consequences. Not just because someone knocked on our door and said, close your eyes and sign here. But the whole reason we sign is because I don't want to go. So when you sign a proxy, power of attorney, it is in lieu, in, in your stead. Second kind of shlichus is personalistic. It's a relationship between two people who are united by a bond of friendship. Two people committed to the same destiny. Two people sharing in each other's travails and joys. Two people working for the same cause and confiding in each other. Two people living in an open, frank existence. These two people achieve a common identity from the viewpoint of halacha. Each of them may act in certain areas on behalf of the other, even though the latter is right there and is capable of performing the same deed on their own. Essentially, the shlichus is a merge of identity. One acts on behalf of the other in the other person's presence. The shlichus entrusted to a prophet belongs to the second category. Man unites with Hashem, cleaves to Hashem, loves Hashem with great passion. He feels the hot breath of eternity upon his cold face. He feels the Almighty. 
He experiences the great sweetness and exalted engendered by the touch of infinity. That is what Hashem is saying. Bo El Paro. It is not the formal shlichus wherein I absent myself and you do what I've told you to do. It is the personalistic shlichus where there is a union between me and you. My thoughts will become your thoughts. My speech will break through you. Therefore, Moshe, you are qualified because I am qualified and I will be right beside you. Bo Imadi El Paro. I will walk with you. I will be there when you enter the palace. I will not leave you on your own. You are the shliach tzibor. I am the tzibor. I am united with you. We'll walk together arm in arm, so to speak. Man can come close to the Almighty, that he and the Almighty are united, one voice, one feeling, one experience, finitude somehow embraced by infinity, and yet not disappearing. Beautifully written, most poetically written by Rabbi Soloveitchik. And I, I, I share that with you because it's a theme I've been coming back to a lot lately. It's a theme I'm thinking about a lot lately, is this notion of the bow, not leich, that when we stand up and we show leadership, when we feel we're here on a mission, when we're trying to make a difference, there's risk involved. And there's exposure involved and vulnerability involved. And it's easier. It's easier not to lead a mission-driven life. It's easier to not to try to bring change or create redemption or repair a world. It's easier to stay in the background. It's easier to be indifferent. It's easier to take a pass. But a person has to remember that Hashem doesn't say, Lech, go and good luck to you. He says, Bo, come, come with me. I'll be by your side advocating and lobbying that person or standing up for that reason. I'll be by your side defending the vulnerable and the people who need to be defended and speaking the truth. I'll be by your side. So this is a theme, Shmos Va'ira Bo. I gave almost two drushes in a row the last two weeks. Either no one noticed or you were all too kind to say anything. But the theme of Shlichus that Hashem is saying to us, you've got a job, you've got a mission. Don't wake up and think it's what I can take, it's what I can give. Why are we here? What difference we're meant to make? And it doesn't matter if you're in the prime of your career or even arguably more when you are retired and have more free time and flexibility and margin and space to think, what's my legacy and what am I doing with the remainder of my years and what difference do I want to make within my family, within my personal avoda, as an example to others and within the community at large. And whenever we hesitate or pause, whenever we're afraid or anxious, whenever we feel we've placed a target on our back, we should remember it's Bo Imadi El Paro. Hashem is not just sending us out, abandoning us. Good luck, go on your own. It's come together, together as one. That's Rabbi Soloveitchik. I want to take you now to the Kotsk. We've been learning Emes Ve'amuna, a new collection of Kotsk Torah. Bo El Paro, Ksiv Bo, Volamolo Ksiv Lech. Everybody asks the same question. You, I'm sorry to say, you didn't discover this one today. Everybody asks, why is it Bo? It should be Lech. But the Kotsk gives a different answer. Lech means I'm staying here and Zagizant, go. You will now be without me. I will remain here and you will go and be there. But with the Almighty, he's He's everywhere. There is no go where you've left him behind. Wherever you go, he will be there. Wherever you go, he will be there by your side. Now, it happens to be that in the footnote, the Beis Yisrael, Gereb, and others say, there's several times in the Torah where Hashem says, Lech. <laughs> so what happened to Melech HaLaharetz Kvodo? What happened to Melech HaLaharetz Kvodo? Makazdam is one example. He's going to the Yor. No, Kadosh Baruch that's where Paro relieved himself. He didn't want to be there. All kinds of Terutzim. But then he says, there's more places than just that. So why specifically here? Kasha, Halokama, Pamim, Kasav, Lech. 
הכוונה בדברי הרבי מקוץ, כי די כפו, שמזבורך יצרך לומר בו. כי למשה רבינו היה פחד ללכת לביסו של פרעה. לכך אמר שמזבורך בו, אני עמך לא תפחד. You're going to the palace, you're going into the, right into the heart, you're going right into the, right into the place of power, you could hesitate, you could be concerned, cautious. Specifically here, Hashem says, Don't worry. I'm in the halls of Congress and the Oval Office. I'm in the voting booth, I'm in the boardroom, I'm in the courtroom, I'm in the operating room. There's nowhere you can go that I'm not there. So wherever you go to fulfill whatever mission you have, do it with a sense of Bo, not Lech. Not, I'm sending you out and now good luck on your own. Hope the operation goes well. Hope the closing arguments go well. Hope the business deal goes well. Hope the lobbying meeting goes well. It's not good luck, you go, I'll be here. But rather, Bo, wherever you go, I will be. Because Malach Ola Aretz, Kvodo, a beautiful, beautiful Kotzker Taira. Okay, moving right along to the next Pasuk. So why am I doing all of this pomp and circumstance? Why am I suspending and reversing my normal rule of not revealing myself so explicitly to the world? Because I want the world to see my signs and symbols. I want you to forever look back and remember, even hundreds of years or millennia later, that I remain intimately involved in every one of your lives. And I want you to tell Lamantis Saper. I want you to tell Ba'oznei Bincha in the ears of your children and of your grandchildren, I want you to tell them the story of when I uh, made a mockery, when I made a joke out of Egypt. And the signs, the symbols, the plagues that I did there, then they will know, Okay, there's a lot, of, a lot to unpack here on this Pasuk. We could spend the next week on the Pasuk. We won't. We could, but we won't. We won't. So why does it say Ba'azne Bincha? Let's start with that. What could the Pasuk have said? If I have, if, let's say one of my children, I say, Yechebed, go tell, I don't say, go tell in the ear of one of my children. Go, go scream in their ear. I say, go tell them. So why here is it, go tell them in their ear. So the Ponovich Sharov, Rav Yosef Shlomo Kahanaman, said the following. He said, "Bezmanam regilim dai omnam lasapar lebonam kedaber isharei eyu omnam kasher yeshnam rashim chazakim yesh lahazmiya el haozen pnima shekem blize hadvarim lo yishmau." There are two types of conversations that we have. We have casual conversations. We have conversations where, "Did you hear what happened today?" Let me tell you what I had for lunch. Let me tell you, so I met, you know, you'll never believe who I ran into in the parish this year. Okay, it's important to be good listeners and to validate, make the other person feel heard. But on the other hand, it's okay to remain a superficial type of hearing. It's casual conversation. And then there are important things. Really deep, really powerful, really, really important things where you want to capture a person's attention. Where you say, listen up, listen carefully. Stop doing what you're doing. Put your phone away. Pay attention. We have all kinds of language we'll use to alert someone or get their attention. So say, this is really important. I want to make sure that you get this. I want to make sure that you hear this. So, Says the Panovitcherov, specifically here and now, Mitzrayim is a culture which promotes 
the sense of arrogance and independence and ego. I'm responsible. I did. All about me. So here, right now, press pause. Tell your children, time out. Come here. Gather around. Do you see what just happened? Do you understand what's going on in the world? Has this penetrated your eardrum and your heart and your soul and your head? Saper sadvarm tochaznav. All over and all around us is a superficial listening. We have to know, we have to let our children know when it's critically important for them to be active listeners. Listen actively, listen carefully, shut off all the output and only turn on the input and absorb what you're seeing and what you're hearing. You can't do that all the time, you can't do it too often, a person can't live at that level of listening. But there are critical times, critical junctures, critical experiences where we say, put that down. Simchas. There are moments of incredible unbridled joy. And if you look, you're watching the event through the screens of all the people in front of you. There are moments of a vacation. There are moments of a natural wonder where everyone's struggling, the filter and the angle and the selfie and the... Put it down. Experience it. Be present. Let it transform you imbibe and absorb it, that joyful moment or that natural event or that scene or that whatever it is. But this is a message, a critical message to parents that it's talking here towards, and I don't only mean biological parents, there are those longing still to have children, we bless you should have children, but I mean to the generation responsible of transmitting to the next generation, that we can't get absorbed ourselves into the culture of just superficial relationship, that you're always preoccupied and distracted and only half listening to the other. But there are precious moments, precious experiences, and precious messages that stop and daber bincha, make it clear that I'm talking not just casually right now, but this is really important to hear. This is really important to hear. Now the next question is, the next question is, The next question is, why does the Pasuk again, V'yidatem ki'ani Hashem? How'd the Pasuk begin? No, call your children and your grandchildren around and tell them directly in their ear everything I did in Egypt, the joke I made of Egypt. Why? V'yidatem ki'ani Hashem. And they will know that I am Hashem. It should have said, V'yidu. V'yidatem means and you, meaning your children and you will all know that I'm God. But you already know that I'm God. That's why you are communicating and transmitting it to your children and grandchildren. Should have, should have said, call your kids around, have a Seder table, tell them the story, and then they'll know. Then they'll know. Last week we spoke about Rashi, El Ha'avos. Know where you come from. Know there's an Avon and Yaakov inside you. Don't ever say, I don't have a background. Because if you know where you come from, you know where you're going. If you know where you come from, you know the strength, the potential, the capacity you have inside you. And I mentioned that I believe we should all know our story. It's a responsibility to tell that story of a person should know their grandparents, their great-grandparents, where they came from, what they endured, their resiliency, how they got here. We should know it. We should know it. History is important. We should know it because it's our story. It's our story. Rabbi Sachs, in his Haggadah, talks about the difference between history and memory. History begins with his. It's his story. 
You learn history about somebody else, you open a history book, and it's his story. Memory begins with me. Memory is an active memory that I continue to carry. It's I live. When we give the story of Pesach Mitzrayim, when we tell our children what parents or grandparents endured in the Holocaust, or when they came over to this country, or how they had to sacrifice in order to rebuild Torah, we're not just sharing a piece of history. We are not a people of history. We're a people of memory, a people of memory. So I know the story. It's, it's a memory that I'm transmitting and sharing. So it should say V'yedu, and then they will know. And now they can tell their children. Why does it say V'datem? Listen to this insight of Rav Yechezkel Abramsky. See what I did there? Ba'oznai, I just told you, listen. Listen. So, practicing what we preach. Rav Yechezkel Abramsky, the Chazan Yechezkel says V'datem. He has a tremendous insight into Emuna. Yesh l'hayr l'chorah yitzorach l'omar V'yedu k'ani Hashem. Why does it say, you'll all know that I'm God? You already know. That's why you're teaching the children and grandchildren. It should say, V'yedu. Says the Chazin Yechezkel, Says, you know, when you tell the story of Hashem's role in your life, you could be telling that story for the thousandth time the thousandth time. And many of us too tell the same stories for the thousandth time. How do you know? Because if you watch our spouse, their lips are moving as we tell the story. They know exactly where we're going next. They know exactly where. My son-in-law, one of my amazing sons-in-law, the other day, texted me live while I was behind the beam and something came up and someone said something and triggered me to tell a story. And before I said the story, he said, you're about to tell the story. He's married for a, a year and a half. He already knows my stories. It's Nebuch. I need new stories. Already that predictable. So you might have told the story a thousand times already, but when you tell it a thousand and first, your Amuda becomes even stronger. In other words, why do we tell the story? One might have thought you're telling it for the listener, for the recipient, for the one who hears the story, but we're telling it for ourselves. We're telling it because our Amuna grows the more we talk about Hashem, the more we tell the story of His role in our life. The more we have the Hashkacha Pratis, WhatsApp group of our family, the more we point and identify, this is where he was in my life today and every day. And the more we repeat and the more we tell, the more we believe, the more we live, the more alive that we are. And this is what the Rambam, the Ed the Parshas Va'ira, so the Osos and the Mofsim, these incredible wonders are so that we can tell a story over and over and over again. Ha'amantam ki'adaber. We say in Halal, we said yesterday, yesterday. Ha'amantam ki'adaber. Dabar HaMelech Tehillim Halal, ha'amantam ki'adaber. So Chassidah Shesvarim say, ha'amantam ki'adaber. You know when you have Amuna? When you talk about Amuna. When you tell stories about Amuna when you describe Hashem's role in your life, when you stop and you say, did you see him in that sunset, in that sunrise? Did you see what just happened? We've been circling the parking lot and a spot open, punked in front of the restaurant, in front of the doctor's office. Thank you, Hashem. Hemantam kiadaber. The more we talk about Hashem, the more amuna we have. And therefore, the result of Laman Tisaper Ba'oznei Bincha is not v'yedu, they'll know. It's v'datem. When you create an environment, a conversation around Hashem, all of you are lifted as a result. All of you will see Hashem more as a result. Now,
We're still in the same pasuk. What are you supposed to whisper? And what are you supposed to tell your children? Can almost see Hashem smirk in this pasuk. What does the word hisalalti mean? What does it mean, hisalalti? I made a mockery. I made them a joke. Rashi, I made them a joke. I made a mockery. I'm laughing at them. We're laughing at them. They became the laughing stock. That's alalti. Others say, Benabachia and the Rashbam said the word alalti comes from alal, which means Ilah, he's the first cause. I, I use them to demonstrate that I am the source of all power. But go to Rashi's understanding. And within Rashi's understanding, within Rashi's understanding, so I made a mockery. What, what's going on? Kodesh Baruch Hu could have taken us out with the blink of an eye. Kodesh Baruch Hu could take us out with no fanfare, with no attention. Well, he's making a mockery. Kodesh Baruch Hu could have just blinked his eye. It could have been a massive earthquake. The Jews could have run for their lives, been liberated, attained freedom. Instead, instead, Rav Dan Segel says, Mashkiach, why did Hashem structure it that the whole leaving of Egypt took place in this facade, in this joke that Moshe and Aaron would go to Paro and ask for permission? Who did they have behind them? The infinite, omnipotent, omniscient being, source, ruler, controller of the universe, who if he wanted to, without anyone's permission, certainly could have liberated the Jewish people. So why are you going through this whole What's the word I'm looking for? It's not just a rigmarole, it, it's an illusion. You're living through this whole illusion. You're going through this whole charade. Thank you, who said that? That was a chesed. Thank you for that chesed. There's nothing, wor- there, there are worse things, but it's miserable getting stuck looking for that word. So charade, that was a chesed, shkoyach. So why go through the charade? Hi, Paro, we're here. Hashem sent us. By the way, He controls the universe, not you. And we all know you go to the bathroom at the Nile, right? So, but, but can we have permission to take the people out? What's with the charade? What's with the joke? So he says, Rodan Sagal, he says, Paro Gamula Marosharaki Kalsa Ilav Harav Etzba Elokimhi, Umitraim Olechas Venevedes, Kishirosha Kadish Borchum Mivakesh Mimenu, Kanarebali Haskamasolo Yuchal. Paro thinks to himself, oh, God needs my permission. God needs my, per- God needs my permission. Zalimud l'doros, Paro hu ayet sahara, hu noteet chusha ba'odam shubal b'chira, ulamaros ratzon Hashem hu yechol yasos kirtzono, umlamedas osano atora, shekolze hu begeder, shechakti, alalti, shekein ein adam nokef etzbao malamata, mashikach be'ese yilkach mimenu. Just like Hashem was playing a joke on Paro, what was the joke on Paro? Paro, we're going to go through a charade as if you are in charge. Ha! Joke's on you. I'm playing a joke on you. I'm giving you the impression. I'm giving the illusion. We're going the charade as if you are in charge. I think it's the kids in the playground. As if you are in charge. It's a charade. Joke's on you. So says Rodan Segel, Kodesh Baruch is showing us that the Paro in us is the Yetzirah. And the Yetzirah in us says, you think you have such you think you have such free will, you think you're able to make choices, you have autonomy for yourself, I'm in charge. And just like we played a joke on Paro to give the illusion, the charade, he was in charge, 
he goes also through, he has an illusion, he plays the joke on us as if we are in charge, but equally we are not in charge. We are no more in charge than Paro was in charge. Okay, moving right along. Pasak. Moving right along. Turn the page. Parak Aleph Pasuk Beis. I'm going to bring one more plague. It's going to send you out. Before I bring the next plague, speak in the ears of the people. And people should request of his fellow and a woman from her fellow silver vessels and gold vessels. And the people will find favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Moshe had gained esteem in the eyes of all. Please speak and you're going to borrow great wealth to leave. We've shared previously, I'm not going to review right now, the inside of the Vilna Gon, the Chavetz Chaim, the, the classic understanding, the simple understanding, the correct Pashat Pshat understanding is from whom are Jews meant to be borrowing this great wealth? From the Egyptians. From the Egyptians. However, the Gra proves that really it's not the Egyptians, it's Jews borrowing from fellow Jews. First of all, why are they doing this here and now, not later at the end of all the plagues? Why, the Gra says, does it use the word not? Please. If you're taking from the Egyptians, why would you say please? You've been a slave for 210 years. You deserve to be compensated. You don't have to say, please. It's not a favor they're doing for you. Moreover, if it were the Egyptians, why would it be meis re'ehu? Re'ehu in the Torah, Chazal always understand to mean somebody who's among you, Torah mitzvos, somebody who has Kedushas Yisrael. You're not from the Egyptian. So therefore the Gra says, this was an instruction to the Jews. You want to be redeemed? You're in the heart of Egypt. You're in a culture of selfishness. If you want to be redeemed, you need to practice selflessness. To be redeemed, you need to demonstrate chesed. So how do you do chesed when you are a generation of slaves, 210 years of slavery? You have nothing. You're not going to organize big gamat. How do you do chesed? What's the chesed that you could do? You can't write big checks. What chesed are you going to do? Whatever little you have, everybody lend to the other. Whatever little you have, you lend to the other, and you create an environment and a culture and a movement of chesed, and as a result, you will be redeemed. Says the Chavetz Chaim, that's what we say in Az Yashir every day. The classic understanding, Nachisa Bechastacha, is Hashem, your chesed. We were only redeemed in the merit of the chesed we showed one another. We could be on the lowest level of the 49 levels of Tummah, but as long as we remembered that life is not only about us, we were able to see others and do chesed for them, we were redeemable. We were redeemable. So right now Hashem says, let me see if you are redeemable. Are you willing to see outside yourselves? Are you willing to see outside yourselves or not? This is what the Chidush HaRim says, the Makav Choshech, the plague of darkness, the penultimate plague. If we believe the plagues ascended in intensity, then why is darkness? We've all lived through blackouts. Why is that such a bad plague? Again, we've quoted this Chidush HaRim before. The plague of darkness was the plague of selfishness, turning inward, unable and incapable and unwilling to see people around you, unwilling to bring them relief, unwilling to show them empathy, unwilling to stand up with them, unwilling to lend or give or care. That's living in darkness. Person who's self-centered, 
person is driven by their ego, is living in the cloak of darkness. If you want to walk out and step out into the light, then see others and care about others. That's what it means that the Mitzrim, it wasn't environmentally it became dark, it was they all became very dark in a mental state of darkness, but it didn't affect the Jews. Why? Because we continue to lend to one another. That is the Gra, the Chavetz Chaim, the Chidush Arim. But I want to share with you another insight. The Medrash says, the Medrash says, um, the Medrash, the Gemara Brachos Daf Test, the Medrash tell us, Hashem says to Moshe, do me a favor. I want you to go to the Jews and ask the Jews to ask the Egyptians to borrow their wealth. Why? Why was this such a favor? Why did Hashem ask that way? What did Hashem need or want from it? Hashem says, I'm worried. I made a promise to a certain tzaddik. And I don't want that tzaddik to come back now and throw in my face that slavery I made good on. But leaving with great wealth, I didn't. Who was the great tzaddik? Avram Avinu, where? The Brisbane Absarim. Hashem told Avram, you're going to have children and this good is going to happen, but then they're going to go down to Egypt and they're going to be in slavery and they're going to be in servitude and then they're going to leave with great wealth. So Hashem says, do me a favor, Moshe. Help me make good on my promise. Help me look good. Slavery, check, done. And believe me, Avram will remind me I fulfilled that promise. Now I need to fulfill the other promise, which is that you leave with great wealth. Help me make good on that promise. Ask them to all leave with great wealth. Ask them to leave with great wealth. And the question is, was Avram really going to challenge Hashem? Avram the Av Hamon Goyim. Avram, who was the beginner of the Jewish story, Avram was really going to challenge God. Gemara says in Baruch, it's called, Moreover, why Daber Na? So many explanations were given, but the Sefer Lesitcha Elyon quotes from the founding Rosh Hashiv of Ner Yisrael in Baltimore, Rav Rudiman, who said the following. Gemara says in Kedushin, Amar Yaakov, Amar Yaakov, Schar Mitzvah Bahay Amaleka, we do not get reward in this world. When we do good deeds, when we live obedient to Hashem's will, our reward is waiting for us in the world to come. Aye, the Torah has several places where it describes you'll live a long life, you'll have longevity, you'll have good days. We know the places. So what does it mean? If it's true that we don't have reward in this world and it's all reserved and waiting for the world to come, then what does it mean when the Torah tells us you'll have a long life, you'll have a good life? <coughs> so the answer is, whenever it says long life and good life, it's talking about in the world to come. It's never talking about in this world because And you know who knew that? In Egypt. They knew that did not mean in this world. They were prepared to leave Egypt with their pockets empty. Ruchush Godol, that promise that was given to Avram all the way back in Persia Ben Absarim, the Jewish people understood to me not that their portfolios and their 401k and the real estate market would all be high and up. They understood it to mean in Olam Haba, in the world to come, they would have a great life, a long life. The outlook of a Jew is I don't do it for reward in this world. 
I don't say, where's my reward? Why Hashem, I did all the right things. I volunteered on this committee and I gave tzedakah to that cause and I did my daf today and I learned and I said, my tailum, where's my reward? How come I'm going through this? Because a Jew knows my reward is waiting in the world to come. I don't do it for the here and now. I'm not like an Evan, I'm an Aslikaba Pras. I don't serve so that I get payment or compensation. It's all in the world to come. Zek Havanas Chazal said Rav Ruderman. Shalayomar Osa Tzadik, Vavdum Beinu Osam Kayim, Haina Begufa Magashmin Baolam Azeh, Vaachre Chen Yetu Berchush Gadol, Lokayim Behem Begufam Elo Olam Haba. Avram would never have had a Taina on Hashem, but Avram was going to ask a, a great brisker Kasha. If the first half of the promise, was a physical promise and a this world promise, then how could the second half of the promise be a next world promise? It wasn't Hashem's promise. But Hashem said, what if someone will challenge that the slavery was in this world, where is the reward? First half the promise was with the body, second half the promise is with the soul? So therefore he said, make me look good to have all the promises be consistent. Let the schar be in this world too. Let it be with great wealth. Let it be with great wealth. Our uh, friend, Rav Zedel Epstein, understands differently. He has a sefer, Ha'aros. I'm grateful to his grandson who gave me the two-volume Ha'aros on Chumash. Rav Zedel, I'm grateful to have discovered Rav Zedel Epstein because he has fantastic insights into the Parsha and Torah. He says, When a person gives, they should give generously. Hashem made a promise, I'm going to make you great wealthy. So why does he say, when you leave Egypt, how should we get the wealth? Borrow the gold and silver from your neighbor. Borrow. By the way, this is the borrow, like, can I borrow a tissue? There's certain borrow, which there is no intent to return. Can I borrow a tissue? Can I borrow a dollar? There's some borrow that there's never going to be a return on that borrow. You're using the word borrow, but you mean, can I take, can you give? So here, the money was never gonna go back. Parenthetically, the Gemara talks about years later in Alexandria in Egypt, there was a great court that convened and tried to sue the Jewish people with interest, said, you left Egypt, you took our gold and silver, you claimed you were borrowing it, you never gave it back. Do you know how many years ago? Multiply times interest, inflation, you owe $4 billion. And what was the answer? By the way, this, this was also brought by an Egyptian university professor about 25 years ago. He tried a lawsuit like this again. He wasn't familiar, he only read the Chumash. He didn't know the Torah that this was tried and failed. What was the answer then? It's the answer now. Okay, let's do the math. You claim we borrowed and didn't return inflation. No problem. Now let's talk about the work we did. How many hours, how many years, how much we should have been paid, and what the interest and what inflation is. You came out ahead. Lawsuit dropped. Lawsuit dismissed. So it was set up as borrow on your way out of Egypt. Ask to borrow. Ask to borrow. Okay. We know Hashem didn't mean borrow, we meant Hashem meant take and keep. And that's a fulfillment of the promise, Birchush Gadol, which then begs the question, so why did he say borrow? If Hashem knew and we knew it didn't mean borrow, it meant keep, then why did Hashem say borrow on the way out? So Zed Lepstein in his Ha'ara says the following, Ma Kavana Gadol. What does it mean great wealth? 
יש מפורשים שהכוונה לרכוש רוחני, הכפיר של מתן תורה. That the great wealth here did not mean physical wealth. The great wealth here was spiritual wealth. What is spiritual wealth? Having a happy life, a serene life, a life filled with faith, a life filled with optimism. One can be wealthy spiritually. There's a great expression, one of my favorite quotes. They say about somebody, Nebuch, he's so poor that all he has is money. Nebuch, he's so poor, all he has is money. There are all kinds of other wealth other than money. There are people who are financially poor, but extraordinarily wealthy. And there are people who are financially extremely well off, and in every other measure are living in poverty. There's a spiritual and emotional and a mental wealth. And that's what Rechush Gadol meant. So how do you reconcile on the one hand this cute drash that Rechush Gadol means spiritual, emotional wealth, and on the other hand, that the Pasha Pshat, the simple understanding of the verse, that it means the physical wealth. How do you reconcile the two interpretations? Listen to Reb Zaydel. He says, We think the person with a lot of money can live with peace and tranquility in this world. It's actually the opposite. When you taste wealth, you know what you want? More. A person who has 100 wants 200. 200 wants 400. The person who's struggling to get by just wants to pay their bills and put food on the table, of course craves and wants more. But you know what? Finds a lot of satisfaction at the end of a week that the bills are paid and there's food in the fridge. But the person who's number 400 on the Forbes 400, I spoke about this last week in a different shear. I was reading, I like to read the Forbes 400 every year. It's fun. And um, this year, I think to qualify to make it on the Forbes 400, yet to be worth north of $2 billion. That means that there's some, someone somewhere who has $1.9 billion and Nebuch is poor. It means Nebuch, he didn't make it. It means Nebuch, he said, hide my assets, I don't want anyone to know, but then he framed the Forbes 400, sent it out to his whole family previous years, and this year didn't make the list. Nebuch. Because I promise you, whoever was number 401 and didn't make the list wants to be number one. Yeshlam Manarotza Masayim. The lifestyle is no different between number 401 and number one. I think number one's like $200 billion, the Tesla guy these days. I was wondering, is there any difference in your life if you have 200 billion, 20 billion, 1 billion, 100 million? Where's the cutoff where your actual life is different? Halavai, we should get an answer. So, so why? So why when you're number 401, are you bothered? Your life and your children's life and every descendant you will ever have's lives are all set for good, assuming you do the right things with it. You're set. So what, why do you need to go to number one if you're 401? Why do you need to move up into the 300s or 200s? Chazal told us, because there's an insatiable appetite. Go back before Chazal. Shlomo Amalek told us, Oiv Kesef, lo yizba Kesef. A person who has a craving and an appetite for money, for more, if you live with a sense of more, a craving for more, then you never have enough. You have one billion, you want two billion. You have two billion, you want 200 billion. I bet you the guy number one with 200 billion wants to be the first to, to a trillion. He wants to be the first one to break through the trillion, trillion mark. Because So therefore, says Reb Zayda, listen to this pshat. Listen to this pshat. 
מי הוא האושר האמיתי השמח בחלקו? אחד שחי בקרה של מה שיש לו, זה טוב. גם אם קצת דחוק. Who's the wealthy one? Not the one on the Forbes 400. Who has one billion but wants two. Who's the wealthy one? The one who says, I have what I need. I'm satisfied with my lot. So Davka B'tzias Mitzrayim Ha'chan L'Kabbalah Satora When we left Egypt, Hashem was getting us ready, putting us in the right frame of mind, getting us set with the right perspective, so we could receive the Torah. Amar Kaddish Baruch Hu L'Moshe Shekiyam Havtacha Sheruchash Gadot Yederach Shal She'ila V'lo Nesina He said, I'm going to set it up as you're borrowing, but you don't own. Because when you own, you think I'm wealthy, but now I want more wealth. But if you've borrowed, and you don't ever believe it's yours permanently, then you'll be spared from the craving for more. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically set it up as borrowing to preserve the right Ruchni perspective. Because Ruchush Gadol meant you're going to leave Egypt wealthy. Physically wealthy or spiritually wealthy? Both. How can you be spiritually and, and materially wealthy when you realize that that which you own is only borrowed, it's never owned? When you go through life realizing, whatever I have, it's on loan from God, it's not part of a permanent collection. It's not permanent, there's nothing permanent. There's nothing entirely or absolutely secure. And therefore our attitude and mentality through life should be, it's on loan, I've borrowed it from God. And that's why, says Reb Zedel, that's why specifically it was structured in this way. Reb Nachman of Breslov, I told you this new Sefer I got, Shulchan HaShabbos with Reb Nachman collect the teachings of Rav Nachman elsewhere, but organized on Shabbos. Moshe says, go borrow, so that you leave with great wealth. Have we really left Egypt? Have we left? We think so. But Lamaisa, Being in Egypt, being slaves to Egypt, is not just something historically that happened thousands of years ago. There's a piece of us that's still in Egypt. What does it mean to still be in Egypt? We're still stuck and captured by the klipos of Mitzrayim, by the mentality, by the moral decadence, by the moral corruption, by the... We're, we're, still, we're still living in it. Rab Nassan writes in Likutei Alachos, Avodos Elilim, Paro u Mitzrayim misamlim es koach Paro and Egypt are living in the world of imagination, of imagery, of desire, of longing. And sometimes it captures us. We have aspirations or dreams, we have images, we have desires or longings which are foreign, which don't belong, which are Egyptian, they're morally corrupt and bankrupt. Morally corrupt and bankrupt. They have us working are we not still building Pitom Ramses? Are we not still chasing the mighty dollar so we can knock down a house and build a bigger one than our neighbor? Are we not still pursuing? Are we not still consumed by the pursuit of more and more and more and more? Are we, even the Torah community, not still struggling with consumerism and materialism? a very firm magazine that we get every week, and I love the articles, and they're inspiring, and it's beautiful. And the back page of last week's issue was an ad for a Cartier watch. That was the whole back page of it, was an ad for a Cartier watch and jewelry. 
Nothing wrong with a Cartier watch. If you're wearing one, Tavo Aleichem Bracha. There's nothing wrong with it. I can appreciate a nice watch. I received and I love and I'm grateful for a nice watch. That's the back page of a, of a, of a Torah Hashkafa magazine. That's what we want when it's flipped over on the counter. The children should see. What do I live for? Cartier. What do I live for? That's what we live for. I'm not going to break into my uh, editorial now about the Hassan watches and the Rolexes and kids who haven't earned a penny in their life. They're not even allowed to have a plan how they'll one day earn a penny in their life. That's already a strike against them to have a plan. But they're walking around in what others worked their entire life to be able to earn as a luxury. Okay, I'll leave that out though. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. But Rav Nassim writes, he points out, have we really left Egypt? Have we left Egypt? If what we hang on our wall is the Cartier ad, is that, have we left Egypt? Again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying fine things. I enjoy fine things. Does it define us? Is it who we are and our aspiration? Is it what we talk about and what we teach? Is it what we model? Is it what we're consumed by? Does it influence our priorities? Then we haven't left Egypt. We're still building Pitom and Ramses. We're still building Pitom and Ramses. We're still trying to build accumulate, amass more and more so we can have more and more and bigger and better than those around us. We're still in Mitzrayim. How do you get out? Ech How do you get out of Mitzrayim? So you know what Rav Nachman says? When you lend someone else what you have. How do you prove that what you have doesn't define you? When you can part with it. When you can part with it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying and having the finest things, but do you give generously? Do you lend generously? Do you share generously? If you have a closed fist, if you're stingy, if you're not running to give, let alone giving when you're asked, then you're not entitled to have because it is defining you and you're still in Mitzrayim. You're a slave to Pitom and Ramses. You're a slave. So Daber Ba'azneha'am, Hashem says, I'm about to set you free, but I want you to know what real freedom is. You know what real freedom is? Real freedom is when you share and you give what you have with others. That's why we start the Pesach Seder that way. The, we start the Pesach Seder, Halach Ma'anya. The very first thing we do with the Seder is we say, I want to prove I'm free. You know how I want to prove I'm free? Anyone who needs, come and enjoy. Aye, the door's closed, the window's closed, nobody hears you. It's the most disingenuous invitation of all time. You mumble into your Kiddush cup, anyone who's hungry, come in. Okay, let's start. It's the most disingenuous invitation. Doesn't matter, it's a declaration. It's a declaration. You know what freedom is? All this my silver and my four billion dollar matzahs and my fancy schmancy fine schmecker wine and my everything, all this, all this, whoever wants, come, come. It's not just for me. Come, enjoy, take, participate. It gives me more joy when you enjoy it together with me. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's simcha. That's Purim. Spend more on Matanas Lavyanim than you do on Mishloch Manas or Suda. When you share what you have, you show your real freedom. And that's why now is the time he says, speak, please. Nah, please, please tell the people that freedom is not because they have more than anyone else. That's not freedom. Your freedom is defined by how much you give, not how much you have. By how much you share, not how much you hold on to. Are you free or are you enslaved is measured not by what's in your bank account, but what you've given from it elsewhere. That's freedom. Give and share, says Reb Nachman, through his Talmud Reb Nassim. That's why. That's why. Have we really left, have we really left Mitzrayim? Okay, next. 
Moshe says, at about midnight, I'm going out of Egypt. We're going to go out of Egypt at about midnight. Why kachatzos laila? About, about, about midnight. Kachatzos. Uh, roughly, approximately, about midnight. Rashi has a comment. Kachatzos. Kachatzos ba'alos. What's going to happen? There's always a smart aleck. Always a smart aleck. And Paro has among his cabinet the greatest of the smart alecks. So here there are nine plagues in and, and the tenth plague is going to come. And had Moshe said, Bachatzos, not kachatzos. And Moshe said, bachatzos. Paro, midnight. Here it comes. By the way, nine plagues in and Paro still doesn't believe it. Why not? So the Pesach says, because Hashem hardened his heart. But a good friend of mine told me what he thought was a great vort. Nine plagues in and Paro still wasn't ready to listen. You know why? He didn't think it was nine plagues. He thought it was still one plague with nine variants. That's <laughs> my friend Ari told me, gishmak vort. They found 10 cases of a new variant, past Omicron. I'm not joking, we're up to the next variant after Omicron, 10 cases of the next variant. I forgot the name already. Yimach Shemo. Who wants to remember the name? So power didn't listen, it was one plague, just 10 variants. Just 10 variants. So, so why does it say Kachatzos? Had Moshe said, Bachatzos, be ready, because at midnight, Sayonara, goodbye all firstborns, including you, Paro. Had he said at midnight, what would have happened? One of Paro's advisors, a Paro himself, would have looked at the clock and said, it was midnight, it was 11.59 and 58 seconds. It was midnight. It was 12 o'clock and four seconds. So clearly it wasn't Hashem. So out of that fear, anticipating that cynical reaction, Moshe doesn't say, at midnight, what does he say? Approximately at night to Bavorn to avoid that conclusion of, you can, it wasn't exactly, it was four milliseconds off. My watch had a different, my Rolex I got from my wedding has a different than your. No, so avoid that. It doesn't say, Bachatzos, he says, Kachatzos. Rashi brings the Gemara Brachos. Brings the Gemara Brachos. To avoid the cynical, it's Dagnine Paro. Good. Badvarm Tmubias. I'm reading from the Meged Yosef by. Rabbi Yosef Yehuda Leib Sorotskin, Rashiv and Telstone, whose son is my neighbor on Haliak, new to our community. My dear friend Eli Sorotskin, his father visited, gave me his satisfaram. Wonderful, Meged Yosef Al HaTorah. And he says the following. He says, Advarm Tmuam, Hari Betisha Makos, Betisha Makos, Hakodmim Moshe Ochiach Shedibar Hashem Befiv, Vekasha Yomar Ken Yeh, Bein Abaz HaMaka, Bein Besiluka. Afkam be'etzem ro'im. Shemakas b'choros megia k'fi sh'amar Moshe. El shafiyah cheshbon agnini paro'im b'diu chatzos. He says, I don't understand. Nine times in a row, Moshe came and warned, we're going to suspend and supersede the rules of nature. Something extraordinary is going to happen. Nine out of nine times, something extraordinary happened. Are you telling me on the tenth time when he predicts Something extraordinary is going to happen. And then it's off by a few milliseconds. You're going to say, ah, 
It wasn't him. It wasn't God. Nothing to see here. Nothing to believe here. Nothing to look at here. How can it be? You're going to say nine out of nine times Moshe was on the money. He predicted something extraordinary, supernatural, and it happened. But the 10th time he was off by a millisecond. Moshe's a clown. <laughs> Moshe's a clown. He's a fool. So Ebenezer writes, they didn't have solar clocks, sonic clocks. They didn't have perfect timepieces. So everyone knew that it was an imperfect science trying to measure time. So more likely, Paro's advisors would say, yeah, it was off by a few milliseconds. Our watch is probably wrong. Because if now 10 out of 10 times what he warned happened, I'm going to go with our watch is off. So what is Rashi talking about? What is the Gemara talking about? That this is going to be Paro's reaction. Omnam nira. The meitzir matakifa mashotem ba'adam huayetar liyos tzodik. I love this insight he has here. He says, says Rav Sarotskin, which is the harshest of all of the plagues? The harshest of all the plagues is the 11th plague. You say 11th plague? It's news to me. I thought there were only 10 plagues. I only take out 10 drops of water, of wine. What's the 11th plague? Says Rav Saratskin. Among the strongest Yetzaharas, the hardest Yetzaharas that we have to fight, is the Yetzahara to be tzodik. The Yetzahara to be right. We want to be right. We struggle with admitting we were wrong. Even when we're proving wrong. Nah, I didn't really say that. I said that. If this didn't happen, my thing didn't happen, so I'm not really wrong. We struggle. Everyone wants to be right all the time. You see that the last two years, scientists and medicine and life and agencies. and Nobody ever wants to say, I was wrong. I miscalculated. I came to the best conclusion with the information I had at the time, but I was wrong. Nobody ever wants to be wrong. We have an enormous and overwhelming Yetzirah to be right. To be right. Why is Yehuda the Godloshib Shvatim? Yehuda is the father of monarchy. Why? Tzadkamimani. Because he overcame that Yetzahara and he looked at Tamar and he said, I was wrong. You were right. I'm willing to say I'm wrong and you were right. And he became at the end of 210 years, not all of which he was alive for, but at the end of an entire reign in which he is oppressed and persecuted and tortured, for him to look back and say, I have performed the greatest crime against humanity. You know how hard it is for a dictator, a despot, a corrupt. Instead, in his deathbed, he wrote a note, a suicide note, Paro. I was right and the rest of you drove me to this. A narcissistic, evil, psychotic person. To be willing to say, I was wrong. And I owe you the apology. And I owe victims. Paro couldn't do it. She says, this is the hardest plague. The 11th plague was he had to admit the truth. 
Moshe Amar Leparo, Perakid Aleph Pasuk Zayin, Moshe says, Laman Tetun, that that's the goal of Makas Bachoros. You've been unwilling to admit you're wrong. You're unwilling to admit you're wrong. You insist you're right. So the 10th plague is going to be so powerful, so strong, you will have no choice but to admit it. And the Yerushalmi in Psachim says, Amr Blevi, Keshem Shniten Koch Bekolosha Moshe, Kach Niten Koch Bekolosha Paro, Umahaya Omar, Kumutsu Mitoch Ami, the Shavar Isam Avde Paro, Mikan Ve'elachatem Avde Hashem. Paro ultimately says, You're no longer my slaves. I'm done. I admit I was wrong. Go. You're free to go. Kriyas Yamsov, it says, Viedu Mitzrayim Kani Hashem. Paro, Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh. So he had to, he was forced, Lahodos al Ha'emes. That was the 11th plague. The harshest and the most severe, the most punitive and the worst plague was, he was positioned and forced to have to admit he was wrong. And for Paro, that's the hardest plague of it all. He'd lose his own firstborn son before he'd admit he was wrong. It was less severe a plague to lose his own son than to admit it's wrong. The harshest plague is the 11th plague. And that's a plague in our lives. So says Rav Sarotskin, it's true not only Paro, true of Paro, it's true for ourselves. That the Yitzhahara has that ability and that power, it fools ourselves. It fools us into, into uh, being able to manipulate our thinking and distort our thinking and cloud our judgment and thinking. Ah, it was off by a few milliseconds. It probably wasn't Hashem. He doesn't really care. It doesn't really matter. That's the power of the ego, power of arrogance, the power of the inertia against the willingness to admit that we are wrong. So much so that Moshe has to bevorn it. Kachatzos, not ba, kachatzos alayla. He has to go so far. Okay, we got through about half of what I wanted to say. Half, literally, literally half, literally half. Should we do one more? Okay, one more, last one, because it's a rebzedel, and I'm on a rebzedel kick. Perakid Beis, Pasach Chavzayin. Last one, we're already over time. Indulge me one more moment. Perakid Beis, Pasach Chavzayin. Page 356. We have the whole, your children are going to ask, here's what you're going to answer. And Moshe heard this and he bowed down. The people heard and they bowed down. Now the famous question on the people heard and they bowed down is, is what are they bowing down again? Is this good news or bad news? What was the question that, that's being asked here? Go back a Pasuk. When your children will ask you, what is this all about that you're doing? I'm not doing, I'm not involved, I don't buy it. But what is all of this nonsense that you're doing? And the people, ah, it's the best thing in the world. They bow down, thank you, Hashem. I have such a child. Everybody asks, whose question is that? Of the four sons, that's the question of the Russia. Thank you, Hashem that I have a child who's a Russia? It's a question everybody asks. There's a great answer, but it's not what I want to share with you. I want to share with you a different answer. Rashi says, They bow down, why? They bow down for the three pieces of good news. When God said, you will have a child who will ask this question, and this is the answer you should give. I said, in, in the answer we're supposed to give Hashem, you just revealed to us three pieces of great news. There'll be a redemption. We're going to inherit a land and we're going to have children. You've given us three pieces of, of great news. Three pieces of great news. So says Rav Zaydel, why are you thinking about the children right now? 
I understand that you'll be redeemed because right now you're in slavery. So that will be a major change. You'll be redeemed. I understand you'll have land. Right now you live in Egypt. You're going to go into Israel. But I'll besor us on the news that you're going to have children. You have children right now. <laughs> That's not new news. Where's the news there? They multiplied in Egypt like never before. So where's the news there? Why is that good news there? So the answer is, you know what you see from here? You're right, that's not new news. But when you experience new good news and you're now obligated to thank, you don't only thank for the new news, you thank for everything good going on in your life. And that's where Abzadel told the following story. When he was learning in the mirror in Poland, once a bachar had an intestinal disease that was life-threatening. So they took him to Warsaw from Mir. They took him to Warsaw for surgery. So the yeshiva students daven. They did schuyos. They did mitzvahs. They gave tzedakah. Their, their friend, their chaver, needed this emergency surgery. Could have died. They daven with all their heart. A few days later, somebody came back from Warsaw with four pieces of great news. Baruch Hashem and Ituach Yitzliach. Baruch Hashem, the surgery was successful. A week later, the mashkiach of the Mir Rabbi Yerucham got up and he said the following. He said, Every time you say an Asher Yatsar, you should say it with the same fervor, the same passion, the same excitement as with those four words, the surgery was successful. Every time one relieves themselves, it is as miraculous is its success should be celebrated and appreciated as much as when the surgery happened. When something happens that we're grateful for, it should inspire us to see the things that we've taken for granted that we should be grateful for too. The capacity to relieve oneself in a healthy way is no less miraculous or deserving of our gratitude and celebration than a surgery. Each time, each time. I'm not saying you have to make a kiddush every time you go to the bathroom. But the, the, the fervor of the Asher Yatsar should be filled with just as much joy. So that's Pshat al-Besora Sabonim. You're right, you have children right now. But while we're rattling off all the pieces of good news, you're going to be redeemed, you're going to be in the land, and isn't it amazing, you have children. You're right, that's not new. But when something new does happen that we're grateful for, it should also cause us to reflect on that which we've taken for granted that we should be grateful for and pile on the gratitude as well. Another great Reb Zedel, I'm grateful for. Have a fantastic day. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Tomorrow morning, Mesil Sasharam, and then living with Amuna. Tomorrow night, we go behind the Bima with Nisan Black, 9 o'clock tomorrow night.